Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the MMA Torch Tuesday Livecast. I am MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennick, joined by my uh, regular columnist, Torch, uh, <laughs> regular uh, co-host, Torch columnist, Matt Pelkey and Rich Hansen. Uh, excited to be back, guys, after two weeks off of being sick on Tuesdays. Rich, you did a great job holding the fort for us here, but we've got plenty to talk about today on a, on a packed show coming out of UFC 121. Uh, Brock Lesnar loses his UFC heavyweight championship. Cain Velasquez pretty much destroys him in the first round. Um, we're going to have plenty to talk about on this show, but uh, Rich, I know you got to get a lot of your thoughts in on Saturday night in the post show. Uh, so Matt, I want to throw it to you, your initial reactions to uh, uh, the main event on Saturday, and uh, how did you like UFC 121 as a whole? I liked it a lot. Uh, it, it felt like a big deal the whole time, even before we got to the main event with you know Tito and the debut of Jake Shields. A lot of big stuff going on on the card. Uh, main event was actually pretty much exactly what I expected. I, I thought I, I didn't think Brock Lesnar would charge across the cage from the opening bell and, and gas himself out in about eight seconds. But um, I, I thought we were going to see a coronation from Cain Velasquez. I wish I had been on the show last week so I could. Uh, gloat more, but I really just have my words of picking Cain Velasquez by TKO in the third round. Um, I thought it would last a little bit longer, but you know, wasn't totally unexpected to me. I, I think Cain Velasquez is the best heavyweight fighter in the world right now. Um, you know, matchups are going to be an issue for him depending on, on who he faces after Junior Dos Santos, but uh, you know, crowning of a new champ and, and back to the drawing board for Brock Lesnar. Yeah, and and you know I can fully 100% admit here that I undersold Cain Velasquez coming into this fight. Uh, you know I knew that the, that the uh, eventual outcome was a possibility. I didn't think that it was going to happen the way it did. Uh, you know I was envisioning this fight going similarly to the Czech Congo fight where Lesnar would be able to uh, catch him with with something uh, and, and be and Cain would not be able to use his wrestling. Uh, as he did in that Congo fight, but Kane has shown himself in these last two fights, especially uh, that he's he's learning to use his power. He's he's learning to really make his shots count and and uh, make his strikes land in the correct spot and uh, really just un- unleash his power. Uh, that it didn't seem even in the TKO victories that he had before uh, that that he really had. I mean, uh, he, he got the derogatory nickname uh, pillow fists from a lot of people because he wasn't able to uh, put people out without hundreds of punches. And uh, it, it just, it, it seemed like that was going to be an issue. Uh, 
uh, and I bought into that. I thought Lesnar was going to be improved in his striking from the Carwin fight, and uh, that maybe after taking shots from Carwin, he he wouldn't back up like that against Kane. Obviously, that was completely wrong. Uh, so you know, a lot of crow eating from me on the on the Lesnar hype train. But uh, at the same time, Kane Velasquez is a special fighter, and uh, Matt, like you said, he's the number one heavyweight in the world right now. Uh, I I don't know how I see the, the matchup with Junior Dos Santos yet, but we'll get into that conversation as well. Uh, but as a whole, I really enjoyed the, uh, the the fight card. I thought it was another really good event from the UFC. Um, but uh, Rich, any other thoughts? Uh, quick on on the on the show as a whole before we uh, break down fight by fight here. Well, you, you can't talk about the show as a whole without talking about the biggest facet of the show as a whole, which was uh, King Velasquez over Brock. It's rather evident that all of us who were on Brock's bandwagon put way too much stock in round two of the Carwin fight back in July and nowhere near enough stock in round one of the Carwin fight. Um, that was more representative, obviously, of what was going to happen to Brock Lesnar last weekend. And a lot of us just chose to dismiss it because it's very easy to say, well, yeah, but, and we put way too much on the but and not enough on the well, yeah. Um, but as far as the rest of the card, there are some big stories coming out of it. The uh, the rebirth of Diego Sanchez, I think, being one of the top two other stories, along with what do we do next with the welterweight belt. Or, I'm sorry, not the belt, but the, the title situation for the next contender. And we'll get through all that in the rest of the show as well. Yeah, uh, let's get right into it. The main event, obviously, we, we talked about it a little bit here, but Brock Lesnar uh, came into this fight as, uh, the defending champion looking to defend his title and be the first UFC heavyweight to defend the UFC heavyweight championship for a third time. Uh, obviously, that's a sad uh, sad story for uh, the history of the UFC heavyweight belt, but the heavyweight division has always historically been the weakest division in the UFC, and it's only starting to get, uh, get stronger. And, you know, Rich, like you said, those of us uh, that were on Brock's uh, bandwagon here... Jack. We we put we we put <laughs> we put far too much stock into uh, his recovery in that fight against Shane Carwin, and not nearly enough stock in the actual skills of Cain Velasquez. And I think the most impressive uh, part of this was Cain Velasquez learned from Shane Carwin's mistakes. Uh, Cain Velasquez, you know, got Brock in trouble and uh, <laughs> did not. Um, hit him in the arms, did not give him a chance to, to really recover. Uh, I think it was the big knee against the cage that really uh, did the most damage, and then he caught him with a shot just, just behind the ear. I mean, perfectly placed shot as Brock was trying to um, get out of the way after taking that knee. Uh, but, you know, I'm still, I, I still don't understand what Lesnar was thinking with that bull rush across the cage. Uh, and when he got that initial takedown, uh, for me it was – I, I don't know why he didn't try to slow things down on the ground and play the methodical game that he has on the ground in previous fights. Uh, you know, Velasquez, didn't, to his credit, didn't give Brock much of a chance to, to do anything there. Uh, but Brock, it seems, was too overeager to try to pass right away, not try to hold his position on the ground, and Cain Velasquez bounced right back up. Uh, and, and I think from there on, uh, Brock was Brock was in trouble, and and he seemed to gas himself out in the first you know minute of that fight by bull rushing, and I still just don't understand the uh, uh, the game plan that he took into this. But 
Uh, Matt, talk about uh, Cain Velasquez in this fight and uh, just how good he was on Saturday night. Well, I mean, perfect game plan by him. It was obviously, you know, weather the storm, get back up quickly if I get taken down, and he did those things. He obviously didn't have to weather as much of a storm as he was probably anticipating. Uh, I, I know you're you're baffled by the the, the game plan by Brock Lesnar, but I, I'm honestly not convinced that that wasn't the best idea for him. Um, he had to know that despite, you know, everybody saying, well, Brock Lesnar is a freak of an athlete, he has great conditioning, look at his workouts, all this stuff. He was never going to be the fresher fighter in the later rounds of that fight. Um, so maybe he thought, if if I catch him early, that's my best chance here. And um, I actually thought he did look improved in his stand-up. He looked more comfortable throwing punches, and, and he was willing to stand there and trade with Cain Velasquez. He's just not at the same level in his striking as Cain Velasquez, and he's, he, he doesn't have good enough control on the ground to hold down a, a fellow fantastic wrestler like Cain Velasquez. Um, I think this was just the worst matchup possible for Brock Lesnar. I mean, I don't think it's that big of an indictment on him. I think he, he was improved over the Shane Carwin fight. It's just he was facing a completely different fighter, um, one that wasn't going to seize up after one round of fighting, um, which is which is why I think that maybe the bull rush was a good idea because uh, Cain Velasquez wasn't going to have his body give out on him after five minutes of fighting. He was going to be able to keep doing that uh, in rounds three, four, and five, and Brock Lesnar knew that. So that's that's why... That was the strategy. Um, it just didn't turn out so well. I, I think Brock Lesnar's biggest problem isn't, you know, we, we always had the question, well, what what kind of chin does Brock Lesnar have? And uh, it was answered, and, and Shane Carwin, yeah, he can he can take a punch. His biggest problem is he doesn't he reacts probably worse than any other high level fighter in history at getting punched in the face. I mean, he's a huge dude with a big neck, and he can take big hard punches all day and not get knocked out cold. But as soon as he gets punched, he, he curls up and runs away. I mean, he literally ran away from Cain Velasquez in that fight, tripping over himself across the cage. It was kind of embarrassing to see for a UFC heavyweight champion. Um, I just think Brock, he he showed that he's just not that far along because he hasn't been training that long. Um, if he wants to, he still has tons of room to improve, and he can still be the, the number one heavyweight in the world again. But right now, it's, it's Cain Velasquez's world, and we're just living in it. I think that's one of the things we also forget, tend to forget about Brock Lesnar is the fact that, you know, this was only uh seventh career fight and uh you know, he's he's only been training for three years, three and a half max. I, I mean he's still very, very young in this game and he's been fighting uh nothing but top notch competition since he came in. So there's there's only uh so much that he can have that he could have learned in this time, and well, he's shown himself to be able to catch on to things very quickly, and he's progressed very quickly. Uh, there's still a lot left for him to learn, and that was very apparent in this fight. Rich, what, if anything, do you think Brock could have done to be more successful in this fight? Or, uh, in retrospect, looking back on it now, obviously hindsight's 2020. Do you think that he actually had any chance in winning this fight? Well, it's him. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's impossible to get it to know what's running through his head more than anyone else's head because he's so reclusive and protective of his privacy. I'm not like Matt. I'm not entirely convinced that that was a bad strategy to do the bull rush. But why did he do it? Was it because he had no respect for Kane? 
and thought that he could just, you know, take him apart like he took apart Frank Mir in the second fight? Or was it because he had so much respect for Kane standing that he knew if he didn't get it down immediately, he was toast, which turned out to be the case? And let's not forget that <clears throat> he did get the takedown right away. And he, he, the way he landed it, he was unfortunate. I mean, obviously, it was good defense by uh, Velasquez. Um, but Brock landed with all of his weight on the lower half of Kane's body or off of Kane and none controlling Kane's upper body. So Kane was able to get out of it right away. And it's always possible, and I'm you know, not saying this is a Brock nut hugger. Everyone knows that my hugs are reserved for BJ's nuts, not Brock's nuts. But, I, mean, I know that, Richard. Exactly. Thank you. Um, but, I mean, it's an entirely possible that if he would have landed a foot higher up, you know, on Kane's torso, on his chest, on his shoulders, instead of around his waist, that we're having an entirely different conversation today. fact of the matter is that didn't happen, and we don't know why Brock decided to come out that way, and we're never going to know because he's never going to be giving detailed strategy interviews. This is the same guy that refused to allow cameras, even for prime time, onto any of his striking sessions, which is why everything that we saw with Pat Barry, and I'm sure there was some amazing footage there, <clears throat> it was all him taking Pat Barry down, which isn't exactly the hardest feat in the world. Um, Kane, I, I mean, I'd still say if they fight seven out of ten times now, after seeing that, Kane's winning seven, or if they fight ten times, Kane's winning it seven times at least. And I'm completely convinced that I, along with many others, were 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 giving way too much credit to Lesnar's athleticism and wrestling, and not enough to his horrible striking defense and complete lack of interest in taking a shot to the head. And if you're going to be a professional fighter, you know you have to take a shot to the head every now and then, and not cartwheel back. And let's credit Velasquez that when, when Brock was doing the backward stumbling thing, you know, all the way across the the the, um, the cage, Velasquez was just stalking him, waiting for the right shot, as opposed to just grabbing him, uh, you know, or, or throwing wild punches Rich? and hitting him in the arms. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Are you? Did we lose Rich there? I can hear you. Okay. Did you I cut out in the middle of your uh, your comment <clears throat> about that? What I was saying was let's let's uh, give credit to Velasquez for when Brock was stumbling across the cage for not just pouncing wildly. He stalked him and waited waited for the best possible angle and the best possible time to get him. And the very first strike that he threw when Brock got his balance was right on Brock's jaw. So I mean. Kane was smarter and better in everything. Yeah, uh, that's that's the crux of it. I mean, Kane Velasquez was just the better fighter uh, on Saturday night. There's no question, no doubt about that. And uh, Rich, I'm with you. I, I, if they fight ten times, I'm picking Kane at least seven, if not eight or nine, after that performance. I, I mean, with the way that Brock has taken uh, punches against both Kane and Carwin, I just I don't know. Uh, that that he can handle the type of pace that Cain Velasquez can set, and, and the type of strikes that he can just continue uh, to, to bring at at you throughout a fight. Uh, so now, obviously, the UFC's number one draw has been knocked off. 
Cain Velasquez now has a chance to to step into that spot. They they really tried to tap into the Latino market with the uh, with the Lucky Land Plus. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mexican-American angle heading into this, uh, this fight. You know, Cain Velasquez did uh, a lot of uh, a Latino promotion and uh, got into the, the Hispanic market with a lot of different things. And uh, that's what they were trying to, to push with this. And you know, after the fight, he got some validation. He was on George Lopez tonight on Monday, uh, which, you know, obviously, um, as a white man in Minnesota, I can't speak to what the Latino market is, is majorly into, but obviously I understand that George Lopez has an influence on that market and uh, can definitely make or break a lot of different uh, entertainers, athletes, whatever, on their shows. Uh, on a show like that, and he absolutely helped Cain Velasquez in that market and helped sell him uh, as a champion. I, I, I thought Cain uh, had a good appearance on there and showed some personality. Uh, they did a little joke playing off of Lesnar talking about wanting to eat a burrito and have a Corona after beating Cain prior to the fight, where uh, Cain instead uh, had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a glass of milk. Uh, suppose I guess that's our uh, cultural meal as white men. Uh, but I, I thought it was it, it was a good appearance for Velasquez in that market, and I think the UFC, while they may turn off some fans with that approach, I, I think it paid off for them, and uh, I think Velasquez can definitely tap into that market. I, I think that Velasquez, based on being an unassuming monster, that's really what he is here. He's a guy that is is kind of quiet, just a nice guy, but when you get in the cage, he's going to go out there and kick some people's asses. He's not going to be the guy to talk shit to people. Uh, he's just going to be uh, that, that respectful, down-key type champion. And if he can get a few wins under his belt, he especially in the manner that he did against Brock Lesnar, Cain Velasquez can be a legitimate star attraction in MMA. You know, the, the UFC is, is definitely trading in the immediate uh, dollar signs with Brock Lesnar on top of a card for a project that could take three, four, five, six fights even for him to get that level of pay-per-view recognition and, and, and hype. But Cain Velasquez is, is the type of guy, if he can go on another, if he can continue his run, if, especially if he gets past Junior Dos Santos. If he gets past Junior Dos Santos in impressive fashion, uh, gets another TKO victory the way he's been doing. Sky is the limit for Cain Velasquez as a draw, but only time will tell on this. Uh, 
Matt, what do you think uh, is is key for the UFC and for Cain Velasquez to, to make that a reality and to, and to really uh, push him as the star that he can be? I, I think the biggest thing, and, and to use a pro wrestling term is uh, here, is he got the rub from, from Brock Lesnar in this fight. Um, now, that's even more effective considering the fact that it was an actual real fight and he beat the bejesus out of Brock Lesnar. Uh, a lot of people saw that. A lot of people that probably hadn't seen Cain Velasquez fight before and had seen Brock Lesnar fight before um, saw him do to Brock Lesnar what people had seen Brock Lesnar do to other people. Um, and I think that's <laughs> going to be important. Uh, certainly, you know, if they can draw in a few, you know, another extra 50,000 pay-per-view buys when he fights because there's Latinos watching, great. Um, I don't think you want to, you know, have a niche uh star, uh, especially your heavyweight champion, where you say, well, we're just trying to get the Latinos in this one. They they want more viewers, not different viewers. Um, and I think they're going to get that with Cain Velasquez. Now you have a guy that uh, looks dominant uh, in winning the heavyweight title over the biggest draw in the UFC. Um, there's probably going to be, a, you know, obviously a, a bit of a dip. He's not going to be a guaranteed million biases next time out, like Brock Lesnar is as heavyweight champion. But He'll certainly do bigger numbers than he did headlining against, uh, you know, Antonio Rodrigo Noguera at UFC 110 on a show that was in Australia. He's going to be in prime time, probably in Las Vegas for his next fight uh, against Junior Dos Santos. Uh, you know, that should do pretty decent numbers. And Brock Lesnar is now not the champion, so you have a super big draw for a, a non-champion as well, which I think is the underrated aspect of this. Brock Lesnar is still going to get people to watch his fights no matter what. Um, you know, he's like Kimbo Slice on crack. He can actually fight. Um, he He's still going to draw the viewers in. Uh, people are still going to pay to see him fight, and now people are going to pay to see Cain Velasquez fight too. Yeah, I think I, I think in the long run, I think this is the best scenario for the UFC. I mean, it, it definitely hurts Lesnar as a draw right now, but it also opens things up in the heavyweight division where if Lesnar had gotten past Cain Velasquez, people would have you know, completely been all Lesnar in the JDS fight because uh, Dos Santos doesn't have the wrestling that Kane did. And I, I think a lot of people see that fight as one where Lesnar takes JDS down and JDS doesn't pop back up like Kane Velasquez did. So uh, if he had gotten past those two two fighters, things got really murky in the title picture from there from then on out. Now you have... Uh, a massive heavyweight fight for the heavyweight championship between the two prospects that have been coming up through the UFC's ranks and now between the two of them are 13-0 and in the octagon. And so that's a massive heavyweight title fight, and you have Brock Lesnar trying to reclaim his throne and on his path back, uh, likely in a couple of high-profile rematches in the division. Uh, you know, Shane Carwin and Frank Mir are, are going to be names that are out there uh, for the UFC to sell him against. So for those uh, off-month uh, off pay-per-views where they don't have a title fight set, Brock Lesnar is right there to, to headline a show on his way back up the card. Uh, Rich, what, what do you think about Cain Velasquez as a draw from here on out, and uh, what do you think he'll need to do uh, to you know capture a, a larger audience than just the Latino market? Win. If he doesn't win, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're overlooking the most obvious part of it is that <clears throat> unlike Brock Lesnar, it's still going to be a draw. If Cain Velasquez goes out and loses in March or April or whenever to 
Dos Santos, all those games are gone. Um, you know, generally new fans of anything are front runners. You know, uh, and trust me, living in Wisconsin, I understand about front runner fans. Um, <clears throat> if if he loses, it's it's Armageddon for the UFC marketing that heavyweight division. Um, now, working under the the premature assumption that he is going to be the greatest fighter in the history of fighting, um, then what he needs to do is, is exactly what he's done for the last two weeks. Uh, he's going to cross over because the hardcores appreciate how he fights. Um, the, the Hispanic audience that they're, I don't want to say pandering to, but certainly being, you know, over the top, uh, uh, in trying to to gain their their allegiance, uh, will stay behind him. But it's it's getting the people like I had people over at my house on Saturday night who had never seen a UFC before, but they took one look at Brock Lesnar and thought he was invincible. And they remember Cain Velasquez now. They don't remember he was Mexican or he's Mexican American or or the way he was marketed in Miami three weeks ago. They just remember. <clears throat> excuse me, that he's the guy that beat, you know, Goliath. And as long as he keeps winning and, and you know, doesn't uh, wind up on TMZ when he doesn't want to be, he's going to become the second megastar that the UFC has in the heavyweight division. So I agree with you, Jamie. This was actually the best possible result for the UFC. Rich, your phone cut out picture. again. Damn it. Uh, am I back? Rich? Oh, lost Rich on that one. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll get him back on shortly, but, uh, yeah, I think I know where he was going with that and, and, it's it's definitely one of those situations where uh, Cain Velasquez is now it's sky's the limit for him as long as he keeps winning. I, I definitely agree with Rich's assessment on that. Uh, Matt, any quick thoughts on that before we move to the next uh, segment of this? Yeah, I think you know Brock Lesnar came into the UFC obviously with a, a lot of hype, a lot of notoriety coming off you know being a, a WWE champion and being pushed very hard there, but. There's so many people who, once he was in the UFC, became fans of, of MMA and, and fans of Brock Lesnar from what they saw from there, who'd never watched, who had never watched wrestling before. Um, and I think Cain Velasquez can can have that same effect. You know, if if you see, you know, that's the same reason Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre draws because they win because they're dominant. If he if he keeps winning, that's all that 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 they really need and. Uh, you know, catapulting off of a performance like that to capture the title is is the best way it could have gone down for for Cain Velasquez and the UFC going forward. You're listening into the MMA Torch Livecast Tuesday Conversation. Uh, we're here every Tuesday from 9 to 10:30 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to join in the conversation today, call into 646-716-8090. Press one to indicate you want to talk. We'll try to get your phone call in uh, during the day or during the show, and then uh, you can also join us on the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash MMATorch. Uh, you can also follow us throughout the week on the web at MMATorch.com, uh, also on Twitter and Facebook, twitter.com slash MMATorch, and facebook.com slash MMATorch. 
Once again, if you're listening to us on iTunes throughout the week, make sure to tune in on Tuesdays and join us for the live show. Uh, Matt, we may be without Rich. Uh, he's having some phone issues for the rest of the show, but we'll we'll do the best we can and hope that he can uh, call back in and join us. Uh, I want to move on to uh, another situation that came after uh, the the main event fight was over, uh, and, and it's been getting some play, so I just want to touch on it. Uh, we got Rich back on the line, so we're good on there. Uh, but the incident with the Undertaker from the WWE, uh, he was being interviewed uh, by Ariel Helwani from MMAfighting.com, uh, and as Lesnar was coming out of the cage after just getting his ass kicked, uh, Taker kind of got distracted from the interview, walked over and said something like, you want to do it, or something like that to Lesnar. They kind of had words, and he came back, and um, Undertaker said it was some type of some, a personal issue between the two of them. Well, after that, uh, reports started coming out that the WWE had uh, offered Lesnar uh, a WrestleMania match with uh, Undertaker for this coming year, for 2011, um, and that you know there was a possibility of that going down. Well, Dana White unequivocally said, no, Lesnar's under contract. There's no way that he can do anything with WWE. Um, but there's still some conflicting reports on to what exactly went down there. It was just a strange situation. Uh, and Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net, uh, one of the uh, Torch affiliate sites, uh, reported that a well-placed source in the WWE uh, was aware of something happening on Saturday night ahead of time, that there was going to be something taking place uh, between Lesnar and uh, and Undertaker. I'm of the opinion that what happened just happened to be coincidence that it was caught on camera, uh, that Mark Calloway, uh, under, also known as The Undertaker, uh, just happened to pick a wrong time to say anything to Lesnar. Lesnar was completely out of it, just got his ass kicked. You know, Ariel Helwani, there's not a chance he was in on any type of work or setup for this storyline to take place. Lesnar's not going back to the WWE. I don't see a chance that that is actually the case here. Um, I think a lot is being made out of nothing. This is just a situation where it, it just something was caught on camera that seemed very off, and some other reports came out afterwards. And um, you know, if if anything is coming out of that uh, report from Jason Powell, it's I, I think maybe Undertaker and the WWE were trying to get something. To happen, and he was going to do something, regardless of the fact uh, of whether it was on camera or not. And it just so happened that after the fight, that's what when Helwani was talking to him. So, I don't think there's much to this. I don't think there's a chance Lesnar goes to the WWE. I think he still wants to fight. He still wants to be a fighter. And uh, these these reports or these stories and speculation coming out about will he even come back or uh, you know, does he want to be a fighter? Does you know, does he have the heart to be a fighter? Is he just going to quit and walk away? It, it's three days after the fight. It's three days after the fight. Brock Lesnar just had obviously the most humbling loss of his MMA career. But this is a sport that he's come into and he's excelled at in a short time, and it's something that allows him to be a competitor 
and compete in something that he enjoys doing. He enjoys training in his camp in Alexandria. He enjoys getting into the octagon. Uh, what he doesn't enjoy is traveling and being away from his family for extended periods of time, which has led to him getting off the road from the WWE and leaving the WWE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Leaving Japan after having to be away from his family and dra- dragging his family around over there, not going to NFL Europe after failing to make it in the NFL. He's, he's left these other endeavors because of his family. The UFC is not a detriment to that situation. Uh, so I wholly expect to see Lesnar back in the cage. I don't think that this is even an issue. And I think uh, it's gotten more play just by me talking about it here than it deserves. But, uh, Matt, any any thoughts on, on this situation? And what do you think is next for Lesnar? Well, I think the only thing that's certain here is that something about this situation is a work. And for uh, the uneducated in, in wrestling, pro wrestling jargon, that means it's fake. Um, I don't think there's any real heat between the two of them. I don't think The Undertaker just so happens to show up at all of Brock Lesnar's fights uh, to try and pick a fight because Lesnar boinked Michelle McCool or anything like that. Um, um, I, I think if it's most likely that Vince McMahon probably told The Undertaker or Mark Calloway, which is his real name, which I think it's hilarious, that when a little graphic saying who's being interviewed comes up, it says The Undertaker when he's clearly not in character. Um but, uh, you know, maybe he said, hey, try and, you know, stir something up if you can. And uh, I don't know. I don't think there's much to it. Like you said, Brock Lesnar has has said many times that uh, he didn't like the travel. He didn't like the schedule, the hassle of, of the WWE. I mean, maybe if it was something like, hey, they worked out a deal where he can come work a, a one-month program leading into WrestleMania, fingers crossed because that's in Atlanta, um, to have a big match with The Undertaker. Um, but it doesn't matter because, like Dana White said, he's under contract, and I don't think he would go back to wrestling unless he was done with fighting. And his post-fight interview certainly didn't indicate in any way that he was done fighting. Um, he wouldn't say, "Yeah, that's what champions do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get better and come back and get my title." If he was just gonna walk away. Um, so, and I, I'm fairly certain that wasn't the last fight on his contract. Um, if it was, then maybe this this story would pick up steam, but. Uh, it sounds like mostly just a small publicity stunt, um, right place at the right time for uh, The Undertaker and the WWE. Rich, any uh, thoughts on this situation? No. Um, but as far as 
as far as uh, Brock coming back, that was the politically correct answer, by the way. As far as Brock coming back, of course he is. Anyone who thinks he's not going to return to fighting is either someone who doesn't want him to return to fighting or an idiot. <clears throat> Every decision he's made since, since uh, say, six months before he left professional wrestling has been based on either travel, lifestyle, or family, <clears throat> or the desire to compete. Uh, he left wrestling because of all four of them. Uh, when he when he missed out on the NFL, uh, or went to try for the Vikings, that was because he wanted to compete. Notice he picked the team that was closest to his home, even though they had a very strong defense at the time. Uh, NFL Europe, he turned down because he didn't want to either be away from or uproot his family. <clears throat> Not to mention a change in lifestyle, living in Europe. When he went to Japan, he, he left there because it reminded him of the WWE situation. And then he went into MMA because it gave him the chance to compete. If he leaves MMA, what is he going to be competing at other than playing cribbage or pinochle at the local VFW two nights a week? Come on. He's going to return. It's a non-issue. And the fact that anyone thinks he might not is just deluding themselves based on what they want the end result to be. And we have, uh, I, you know, I don't know what the UFC is going to do right now, but uh, we have a potential mega fight already uh, to, to set up for his return. He's, he's medically suspended for six months right now, can come back if uh, he's cleared by a doctor. Um, but, you know, cut, it's going right? to be several. Yeah, it's from the, the cut on his face, it's, it, you know, and the damage to his face from, from Cain Velasquez. So it's, it's going to be several months at least before he's uh, back in the cage. But he wanted to take some time off anyway, go hunting. You know, uh, him and Dana White reportedly were – uh, you know, having some issues back and forth uh, about coming back this early, and um, you know Brock had wanted to take a little time off, especially with what he went through last year. And so you know there, there's an argument that maybe the fight came too early. Uh, e- even if he was able to get his full camp in, maybe it came too early with everything that he went through in the last year. But uh, regardless, he's going to take some time off. He's going to hunt. He's going to be with his family. He's going to hide up in the woods in Minnesota through the winter, and then once he's cleared to train, he's going to come back, and he might have the rematch with Shane Carwin already on the books for the UFC because Shane Carwin today had to pull out of his UFC 120 fight with, it's 125 fight with Roy Nelson. Uh, a back injury uh, that he's been, he's been battling uh, is he's, he's looking at getting surgery, uh, he said he's getting a second opinion on it, uh, and he'll either get surgery or he won't. He's he's leaning towards surgery right now. But even if he doesn't get surgery, he's out with no contact for 8 to 12 weeks, had to pull out of the fight. Uh, so Carwin might be available for a massive uh, rematch from the UFC 116 bout in the spring if the UFC decides to go that route. It depends on what they want to do with Lesnar because with what happened in the first fight, after Lesnar got beat by Cain Velasquez here, that's still a very, very dangerous fight. Carwin, had he not gassed uh, in that first round and slowed down and, and allowed Lesnar to to get back to his feet and then take him down in the second round, had had all that not happened, it, it may have been a different story in July. Uh, so if the UFC wants to get Brock back towards the title shot, they may avoid that rematch right away. Uh, but I think that rematch is definitely on the table. Uh, if they don't put Frank Mir into the Roy Nelson fight, the third fight with Frank Mir is also an option. 
Um, a fight with uh, Minotaro Noguera is also a possibility. I mean, there are plenty of fights for Brock Lesnar in the UFC and plenty of fights that the UFC can sell really well uh, and plenty of opportunity for Brock to compete and uh, earn another shot at the UFC Heavyweight Championship. So, Rich, I'm 100% with you. There's not a chance, not a chance that uh, he does not come back and uh, even less of a chance that he uh, goes to the WWE. I can't even say it anymore because I don't care. Um, so it, it's it's a non-issue, and Brock Lesnar is you know here to stay for the UFC until his body won't allow him to do it. Um, Matt, any other thoughts on uh, his his potential matchups for 2011? I think there's only two realistic options, and it's really just a matter of what business strategy the UFC wants to use. Uh, I think if you want to match them up where whoever wins the fight is the next title challenger, then then you do the Shane Carwin rematch. Um, Because Brock Lesnar wins that, you go, okay, well, he won a fight, we can get him a title shot again. Shane Carwin beats Brock Lesnar, then you say, okay, Shane Carwin's ready for another title shot. Um, Or if you want to make sure that Brock Lesnar just wins one fight and goes right back to fighting for a title again, then you match him up with Frank Mir, because I, I don't see any way Frank Mir beats Brock Lesnar at this point. Um, Mir gets you know marginally better with his hands, but still has huge liabilities in his defensive wrestling and also his ability to take a punch, um, and Brock Lesnar is going to keep getting better for another year or two. Um, so I think that's a, a guaranteed win for Lesnar, and then uh, really all they would need, all you need is one win for Lesnar to justify uh, getting him another title shot. He was, you know, he defended the, the belt twice. That's pretty impressive in the heavyweight division. You know, obviously nobody's ever done it three times before. Um, so it's really just, does the UFC want, uh, do they take the chance of, of Frank Mir upsetting Brock Lesnar and then trying to figure out if you can really sell Frank Mir as a title challenger? Or do you go with the Shane Carlin rematch and the the winner, no matter who it is, gets the title shot? Rich, are you interested in either of those fights? Um, Carlin, simply because <clears throat> want to see what Brock has learned uh, from both the first round of that fight and well, the first round of the Velasquez fight. Um, no interest in the Mir fight. Mir <clears throat> uh, might not be anybody that I like, but I have no real desire to see him take another five, ten minutes of thrashing like he took last time. And there's, like Matt said, absolutely no reason for me or for anyone to think that it's going to be any different. Yeah, he holds a win, but that win was from seven seconds worth of a mistake that, that Brock made in his first real MMA fight. He left his leg exposed and almost lost his leg, the end. Um, I think it's going to be Carwin with the winner getting a title shot because I think within the next couple of days we're going to see an announcement that Frank Mir is going to be taking the uh, fight against Roy Nelson at 125. I'm not basing this on any inside news or anything, but that card is weak right now and it needs a legitimate co-main. And even if Mir doesn't want to take it, they're going to say, okay, Frank, we understand that you don't want to take it. Oh, hey, remember back in September when Noguera pulled out and you were main eventing and we got Crow Cop on short notice and you, you know, clowned him? Well, payback. So Mir's taking the Nelson fight, which leaves Carwin available come maybe Toronto or so, um, you know, March, April, that time of year. 
fit in a winner that gets a title shot, say, you know, in the fall. Yeah, I, I definitely definitely agree with you, and I think uh, I, I think Carwin uh, Lesnar is realistic, and I think we're going to see uh, Frank Mir, Roy Nelson, and, and you know what? To be honest, if if they need a, a good co-main on that, Frank Mir is is obviously uh, the best available option to put in a fight with Roy Nelson, and I think that fight is infinitely more interesting than the one between uh, Mir and Krokop from UFC 119. So. Um, you know, I'd actually be act- looking forward to that after a terrible Frank Mir fight. I, I would want to see what happens in that one. So I think that's the route they're going to go as well. Uh, we're going to move on to the co-main event of the evening. Jake Shields in his UFC debut takes a split decision over Martin Campman. Uh, Shields struggled with the weight cut here, getting back down to 170 after fighting three fights over 100, 180 pounds. Um, had to cut 20, 20 pounds the last uh, during fight week. Uh, he, he, you know, he said afterward, you know, it's on him uh, that he didn't uh, get that cut down, and uh, you know, it, it affected his performance. He had uh, a rough time keeping Campman on the ground, uh, and, and uh, won a split decision here with scores all across the board: uh, 30-27, 29-28 in his favor, and then 28-29 uh, for for Campman. Uh, you know, there was not a wrong score by any of these judges. Plain and simple, um, because that that second round, Campman landed a couple of really hard knees that seemed to be the most devastating strikes of the entire fight, and the third round was so close. Fight metric had it scored, had it scored a draw. Uh, judges could have seen what happened either way. Um, the problem was neither fighter did anything to win this fight, uh, and, and so you get a split decision where the judges give it to whoever they lean towards and. Judges are really reluctant to give 10-10 rounds, so uh, you were going to see that third round go whichever way. And the second round, well, uh, Campman did technically more damage. He was also on his back for much of the round, so that one could have gone either way as well. I personally had it scored 30-27 shield, but, again, had no problem with 28-29 or 29-28 either way. Uh, Rich, what were your thoughts on, on this fight overall uh, and Jake Shields' debut? Uh, it was a little bit disheartening, to be completely honest with you. It, it gave ammunition to the asshats out there who call Jake Shields nothing more than a dry-humping laying prayer. Um, I choose to see it that even when he was completely exhausted and could barely even – he couldn't stand straight after that fight was over. He was still able to do whatever he wanted in the third round as far as the grappling went. He was able to, to take mounts – repeatedly he was able to escape getting damaged at all when he was was on the bottom and that was with no energy whatsoever so i mean it's all in what you choose to see and if you go into the fight thinking you hate shields you're going to leave it hating them and if you go into it like me saying you like shields you're going to see what you want to see out of it um but i was disheartened by the fact that he had such a problem with the weight cut and he can say, well, yeah, next time I just won't cut 20 pounds. But easier said than done because he spent almost two years changing his body in the same way that George St. Pierre says he would need to change his body to go up to middleweight and compete. Shields already did that. And I don't know if we're ever going to see a good Jake Shields at 170 anymore. 
I'm not saying we won't. I'm saying we don't know. And I've changed my tune before that fight and immediately after I said, oh, title shot. You know, he won title shot. The end. Now I want to see him get one more fight at 170. And if he can't compete at his best at 170, and he's not even like Tiago Alves who can't make 170. But if he can't be the best Jake Shields possible, I hope and pray that he goes up to 185. Uh, Matt, your your thoughts on, on this fight? Um, yeah, I, I agree with Rich that I think, you know, being a Jake Shields fan, I probably kind of saw what I wanted to see in this fight. And I saw a, a guy that... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Dominated Paulo Tiago on the mat, get dominated on the mat by Jake Shields, and that was pretty impressive. Martin Kamen is a really tough guy, and we always knew this was going to be a really tough matchup for Jake Shields. Um, you know, a lot of people were predicting he was going to win by submission. Um, I don't really know how that was ever going to happen. I, I, he controlled uh, Martin Kamen on the ground like I expected him to. I didn't think he'd be able to get mount so easily several times in that fight, and, and still, uh, even when he was exhausted, even after he ate those big knees in the second round. Uh, you know, just his level of grappling, like Joe Rogan says, is just a level above basically everybody else, um, you know, not named George St. Pierre, unfortunately. Um, but I think things are – it's going to be a while before George St. Pierre fights again anyway. So this this whole situation has a long time to to weed itself out. You know, the, the Koscheck, uh GSP fight is until December, and then we know it's going to be at least probably – five or six months after that until um, George St. Pierre fights again. And it's not a guarantee that it's going to be either John Fitch or Jake Shields. Um, so I think it's got a lot of time to sort itself out. Um, but it was an okay debut for Jake Shields. He got the win. He got the win over a very tough opponent. But Rich Brown's points, you know, can he still make that cut? He looked big. I mean, he looked like a 185-pounder in that fight. He's six feet tall. He's a big, solid guy. Um, you know, 185 is, is always looking for contenders, so I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him go up there where he is naturally because he's spent so much time getting his body to fight as a middleweight, and, and then he signs his UFC contract, and they say, all right, you got a, a fight in a couple months at 170 against Martin Campman. Um, that was a, a tough a tough fight and a tough task for Jake Shields, and, and he passed. Um, I scored the fight 29-28. Uh, I, I thought the knees and the, the second round. Yeah, 29-28 for Shields. First and third round, I, I thought he took. Second round, I gave to Cantlin because even landing just two or three knees, I thought was more than you know the the positional control that Shields had, Shields had in that second round. Um, but I think the decision was right. I think Shields won. Um, it was it was a tough obstacle for him to overcome, and hopefully he's he looks better his next time out, regardless. Of and one more. Th- 
Sorry, Matt. I, I, I thought you were done. Go ahead. I'm, I'm done. Go ahead. Okay. One more thing. Since, since what pisses me off more than anything are, are the, you know, people talking about, you know, dry humping. I mean, if you don't watch it, go watch K1, you know. But let's not forget that in, in this 15-fight win streak that Chase Shields is on, he had seven, seven finishes in a row before he ran into Jason Miller, who's never been submitted, before he ran into Dan Henderson, who he dominated. And finish or not, that's just as satisfying as a finish, what he was able to do to Dan Henderson of all people. And he, he went to the decision of Mark Cannon, who's also never been submitted. So, again, it's what you do to see out of it. Hey, he fought three guys, he can finish, and he crushed them the best they possibly could. And as far as Batman's prospects in that fight, you know, anyone who wanted to give him, maybe that they said Fields didn't move anything, well, what the hell did Batman do? Through two knees in the second round. And the second one, I don't even know if it hit him and Shields just, or it might have, it looked like it grazed him, you know, up against the fence, and Shields used it as an excuse to pull guard. So, I mean, he had two solid shots all the time. He had the opportunity to finish Jake Shields, and he didn't do a damn thing with it. And this was the worst performance of Martin Campman's career. And you can't put that all on Martin Campman being bad. You've got to put some of that on Jake Shields making Martin Campman look bad. Yeah, and that, and that bring, I mean, the title situation now in, uh, you know, I, I made the argument that the way that that fight went down uh, should not leapfrog him over John Fitch. Uh, and for me, I've had Fitch in the number two spot in the welterweight division since losing to GSP because I think he beats any other welterweight not named uh, George St. Pierre. And uh, the UFC, obviously, if they, feel, if they felt Shields coming in, uh, if they had him ahead of, uh, of Fitch, and after this fight they didn't... Uh, uh, they didn't, you know, change their opinion on that, which Dana was saying after, you know what, he got a win. That doesn't change his standing. He got the win. Uh, then, you know what, I understand them giving him the title shot if that's what they choose to do. But for me, I still had Fitch ahead of him and didn't think this performance at 170 was worthy of a title shot, and I didn't see anything in this fight that suggested that Jake Shields can do anything against George St. Pierre. Uh, and, and, well, you know, he, he did a, a great job in negating Martin Campman being able to do anything on the ground after the, the fight we saw out of Campman against Paulo Tiago. Uh, against George St. Pierre, it's a completely different story. And, you know, George St. Pierre is far and away the best welterweight in the world, and I don't see any chance that Josh Koscheck beats him in December. So, clearly, we, we're, we're all talking title shot for Shields or Fitch against GSP. But another wrinkle was thrown into the situation uh, with Lorenzo Fertitta, UFC's owner, one of the owners and CEO, uh, bringing back the George St. Pierre-Anderson Silva conversation. If George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva win their next title fights, there is a, a legitimate possibility the UFC books them against each other in the summer of 2011. And if that's the case, Jake, Jake Shields, John Fitch, right there. That matchup, you, you get rid of any discussion on the situation. John Fitch wanted the winner of that fight, uh, and he should get it if George St. Pierre is going to fight elsewhere. And, uh, Matt, like you brought up, if George St. Pierre isn't going to fight for another six months anyway, 
you can still have that fight between Shields and Fitch uh, in three months, three and a half months, and have plenty of time for uh, the winner of that fight to turn around and get into a title fight with George St. Pierre if they don't go Anderson Silva GSP. So this situation, like Matt said, still has plenty of time uh, to work itself out, and uh, they've, they've got a lot of options that they can that they can do. And, Rich, I agree with you, too. I, I, I want to see Shields get another fight at 170 and see how he performs, uh, if he can get his weight down uh, and make the cut better than he did this time, and, and how he looks at 170 in the second fight. Because right now, uh, that was not indicative of a title-worthy performance. Uh, and I, I just I didn't see anything that suggests he would even be a remote challenge for George St. Pierre in that fight. Um, any other final thoughts on this 170 situation at the top, Rich? Um, it makes sense to make Shields versus Fitch and then put GSP against Anderson Silva, other than the fact that I personally have no interest in seeing GSP versus Anderson Silva, um, at least not yet. It makes sense to make that fight, but from a fan standpoint, the fight I want to see is Fitch Condit because Condit can get off of his back when Fitch has him down, and he's more dangerous off of his back than anybody Fitch has faced, and he's much better standing than a comparable grappler, you know, Paulo Tiago. So, I mean, as a fan, that's the one fight that John Fitch could be in that I would willingly pay for. Um but I don't think we're going to be seeing that. I think the way it's going to go down is, is Shields gets the title shot. But we just don't know. Well, that. in that case, then we would see Condit Fitch. Yeah. Yeah. Did did I say Shields gets the title shot? I'm sorry. I meant to say Shields versus Fitch. And, and, okay. and GSP goes to Anderson Silva in Toronto. That's what I, you know, my apologies. Good catch. That's all right. <laughs> uh, Matt? GSP Anderson Silva, do you think they actually put it together next year? I don't think Lorenzo Fertitta would have come out and, you know, flat out said, yeah, we'd like to put that fight together if they didn't have plans on doing it sometime next year. Um, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, in the spring in Toronto and, and be the fight that sets the records. That makes the most sense. But um, when dealing with Anderson Silva, you never know who who he's going to say yes to and when they're going to put the fight together. So, you know, if that ends up being a end-of-next-year type of fight, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. But I, I do think that fight, that next year is going to be the time for that fight to happen. And, and the UFC, you know, has a good track record of putting together fights that, that fans want to see. Um, so I think next year is the time for it. I, I hope it's in the spring, and I hope we get um, Shields versus Fitch just because I think that's a – it's not going to be the most exciting thing, but it's certainly an intriguing uh, matchup to see whose dominant ground game prevails um, my gut says Shields, if, if that's where the fight takes place, is uh, assuming he he can get Fitch down and either put him on his back or sweep him if he gets put on his back. Um, but, you know, I, I like that we have another interesting uh, fighter to throw in the mix in Carlos Condit, uh, an exciting fighter who can can fight in all, all areas, especially it's good to be able to fight off your back in the 170-pound division in the UFC. Um, and we've seen, you know, most of the time, the UFC likes to keep their contenders uh, apart from each other, so they always have one waiting after another, and you don't want to uh, cannibalize one f- for the other. Uh, but in this situation, and has been the situation in the 170-pound division, they're more than willing to match up guys 
guaranteeing one of them a loss to get them out of clamoring for a title shot. So uh, I think they'd be absolutely willing to do Shields versus Fitch just because that means you don't have to have both of them fight George St. Pierre. And one thing for me, actually, with Lorenzo Fertitti in person saying this, there are only two people on earth who could say, no, Dana, this is what we're going to do. And Lorenzo Fertitti is one of them, and his own entry line is Edge. Fuck. Lorenzo Fertitta and Frank Fertitta are the only two people. You're listening into the MMA Torch Livecast Tuesday conversation. I am MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennick, and. If you'd like to join in the conversation at all today, you can call into 646-716-8090. Press 1 to indicate you want to talk, uh, and we'll try to get calls in if uh, if you'd like. Also, you can join us in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash MMATorch. Uh, and follow us on the web throughout the week at MMATorch.com. Uh, also, uh, on our iPhone and Android apps, and on Twitter and Facebook, twitter.com slash MMATorch, facebook.com slash MMATorch. Uh, if you're listening to us throughout the week on iTunes, make sure to tune in on uh, Tuesday nights live. We're here every Tuesday from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, looks like we have lost Rich uh, for the show. He might still be in the chat room to uh, to chat with us, but he's having some phone issues tonight. So uh, we'll, we'll have Rich gone for uh, the rest of the show, but he uh, helped us out the last two weeks while both uh, Matt and I had been sick out. So uh, we thank you for that, Rich, and... Uh, you can keep talking to us uh, in the chat room. But uh, moving uh, from one welterweight fight to another welterweight fight that had a lot um, of excitement and was the fight of the night on this card and puts another fighter back into the mix in the welterweight division, should he be smart and stay there, in Diego Sanchez. Uh, coming off of a loss to BJ Penn and then a demoralizing, uh, awful performance against John Hathaway, uh, where there were lots of reports of him going out partying and not taking the fight seriously. Diego Sanchez is back after this fight with Paulo Tiago. Uh, it was, he got off to a bit of a slow start. Uh, Tiago had a couple of uh, uh, good submission attempts in the first round, but from that first round on, Diego Sanchez took over. Uh, the second round had an excellent sequence uh, where Sanchez got the takedown. Paulo Tiago uh, basically monkey rolls him off, and Diego just uh, immediately uh, scrambles, picks Tiago up and slams him down. Uh, and, and he just was all over Tiago the rest of this fight. Um, I mean, I had him winning a 10-8 round in the third round. Uh, I, I, I would have had a 29-27 myself. I didn't understand the 30-26 card that he got. Uh, I, I mean, I understood him getting the 10-8 round in the third, but I did not think he won the first round. Um, but at the same time, Good to see a 10-8 round being scarred by a judge when that much damage is being done. Uh, and, and he was constantly going for submissions. I mean, Diego Sanchez looked absolutely 100% excellent in this fight. Uh, I loved his performance, and I hope to see more of that uh, from him in uh, the welterweight division. I mean, he had been talking about dropping back down to the lightweight regardless here, but he looked much better in welterweight. I think he needs to stick in the welterweight division. And I honestly believe that if he stays motivated uh, and, uh, you know, goes into fights like he did this one, um, trying to prove a point, he can make a run at the, at the UFC welterweight championship. He has the tools to beat a lot of the guys in the division, uh, and he could be an exciting fighter at the same time. Uh, Matt, what did you think of Diego Sanchez? 
Yeah, great performance, great fight. Um, one of the most fun fights we've seen all year. Um, the only problem with it was the inevitable feeling after the second round. You knew Diego Sanchez was just going to turn it on, so there wasn't a whole lot of drama going into that third round other than will Diego finish Paulo Tiago. But, you know, both guys fought their ass off the entire fight. Uh, great first round by Paulo Tiago. I'm with you. Uh, who who could have possibly scored that first round for Diego Sanchez? He had to escape like eight near submissions and got picked apart on the feet um, basically the entire round. But second and third rounds, all Diego. 29-27, I think, was the right scorecard. That was a 10-8 round in the second. But, um, you know, it, it shows that, that heart is still an important factor. Uh, if you've if you don't have it, it can cost you fights. If you do have it, it can carry you through tough situations, and that's what happened to Diego Sanchez in this fight. Um, I think I'm with you, Jamie. I think if he stays motivated, if he fights every fight like that, um, I think he could certainly uh, make his way to a title shot. I'd be more intrigued if he gets to that point once George St. Pierre has uh, left the division because I think the 170-pound division is going to be a lot more exciting when um, it's not a matter of, okay, who gets to go lose to GSP now? Um, when, when there's a, uh, you know, who, when it's a matter of finding the next champion, I think it's going to be a lot more interesting. Um, but as of right now, yeah, he needs to stay at 170. He looked good. Uh, he beat a, a legitimate top 10 opponent here and, and, and probably finds himself right back in the, the top 10 of the, the welterweight rankings now. Yeah, and, and with John Hathaway's performance against Mike Pyle just a week uh, before this this fight, I think it's clear that Sanchez's fight against Hathaway, uh, not necessarily a fluke, but it's clear that he did not come into that fight motivated. He did not come into that fight uh, prepared, and uh, he, he suffered a loss because of it. It's still a loss on his record. It's still a knock against him for, for not competing uh, the way he should have. But if we see this Diego Sanchez that we saw on Saturday night uh, against just about anyone in the division outside of George St. Pierre, uh, I'd like I like him for a competitive fight. Not that he's going to beat everyone, but I like him to compete with anyone else in the welterweight division. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his 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 lack of size, his lack of high-level wrestling are, are going to be issues, especially at 170. Um, Tim in the chat room just put it up what exactly what I was thinking. Why not Mike Pyle against Diego Sanchez? That fight makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, maybe Mike Pyle isn't the biggest name to throw at Diego Sanchez coming off a big win like that, but Mike Pyle is another guy that's that's earned a, a big fight in the UFC, and um, I, I think there's a lot of interesting matchups that you can make at 170 right now, uh, you know, aside from the, the title picture. Moving on down the card, we had uh, Matt Hamill picking up a unanimous decision victory over his former mentor and tough uh, season two, or season three, I'm sorry, coach in Tito Ortiz. Uh, I think if this isn't the last we've seen of Tito Ortiz in the octagon, I will be shocked. Uh, he commands far too much money for the performances he's had. He's 0-4-1 since 2006. Um, you know, he, I thought I, he looked good in the first round. I, I, I scored the first round for him. I thought he had uh, uh, some decent stand-up, some decent striking. But from there, I mean, Hamill took him down a few times. Ham, Hamill's striking was better. Christopher, he, he damaged Tito. He bloodied him up. He beat him up. Uh, I mean, this was this was definitely Matt Hamill's fight. You know, Dana White's talking about giving him a top ten opponent next, which I think the only one really available is Little Nog, which is a fight that I want to see. I think that's a very interesting fight, a good fight for Hamill to uh, continue to try to prove himself. You know, he's technically on a five fight win streak, but obviously that includes the destruction at the hands of John Jones that ended in disqualification. Uh, because of the 
12 to 6 elbows. So, uh, you know, this is a great win for Matt Hamill, a win he needed, a win over a big name. Uh, he, he kept his streak alive. He looked a lot better in this fight than he had in his last two against Jardine, against John Jones. So, I mean, that he has that going for him. He, he definitely had a rebound fight here. Um, really liked his performance. It wasn't a great fight, uh, but it, it was it was interesting uh, at times. And, uh, I mean, this has to be the end of Tito Ortiz in the octagon, don't you think, Matt? It makes sense. I mean, like you said, he hasn't won in like four years. He's still Tito Ortiz, so he does still get a little bit of uh, attention every time he's fighting. But um, his performances inside the cage haven't matched up with his notoriety outside the cage in, in quite some time. Um, I wish just based on, on what he did earlier in in the decade and, and putting the UFC on the map that uh, he'd get a, you know, a fond farewell from the UFC instead of uh, unceremoniously cutting him and, and letting him move on to other things. But we'll, it remains to be seen if we get that. Um, I would like to see Tito Ortiz finish his career in the octagon since basically his entire career has taken place in, in the UFC. Um, but this is a good win for Matt Hamill. Um, the, the name is bigger than the, the performance, I think. Uh, being able to say he beat Tito Ortiz, it, it wasn't a particularly pretty fight, and I'm with you. I, I scored the first round for Tito despite getting his face busted up. He actually looked the best we've seen. That first round was the best we've seen uh, Tito Ortiz since he locked up that triangle on Leoto Machida a couple of years ago. Um, but aside from that triangle, that was a terrible fight for, for Tito Ortiz. This uh, he was actually competitive throughout. He just couldn't stop the takedowns of a bigger, stronger, bigger, stronger, uh, better credentialed wrestler in Matt Hamill. Um, and he's he's just not. Uh, he didn't evolve, uh, you know, mostly due to chronic injuries. But he he hasn't evolved over the last several years to to keep up with today's younger, better fighters. And um, not that Matt Hamill is significantly younger than Tito Ortiz. I think he's only about a year younger. Um, but just in you know, ring time and how much time he spent in the sport. He's he's obviously much younger. Started training at a different time, uh, different time and place in MMA history. Um, so if this is the last we see of Tito Ortiz in the UFC, it's too bad he's going to go out on a loss. He seems like the kind of guy that that deserves to have a uh, go out on a win type of fight, like just like a, a Matt Hughes or a Chuck Liddell or a Randy Couture. I think Tito Ortiz deserves that same treatment. But I certainly won't be shocked if we just get a press release saying he's been cut and you know best wishes on his future endeavors. I think that I think the biggest issue with Tito Ortiz right now is the fact that they paid him $500,000 just in disclosed money for the two fights since he's been back. And neither of those performances uh or his drawing ability on those cards has warranted that money. And that's what he's contracted for. So the UFC either ha- if they're going to give him another fight, they have to pay him that again. And whoever he, I mean, he's not going to be main eventing a card. He's not going to be even a co-main event after this loss. So having uh, all of those factors in there, I can't see them booking another. I mean, I think what they'll do is a similar situation with what happened with Fabricio Verdum after the Junior Dos Santos loss, trying to renegotiate the contract and and say, okay, we'll give you another fight for lesser money. Uh, and it, Tito will either take that or walk away. Uh, and uh, uh, Paul, Chim, and the, the chat room said, you know, there's money in him and Chuck still. Dana has unequivocally said Chuck's not fighting again. You know, Tito brought that up at the pre-fight press conference, saying he still wanted that fight and would still be interested in that fight. Dana said, no, 
that's that's not happening. So I I, I actually believe Dana this time when it comes to that. Uh, not that he's you know trustworthy in those matters, but I think when it comes to Chuck, especially with that knockout loss to to Rich Franklin, I think Chuck's done, plain and simple. I think Chuck is completely done, and I honestly don't see the UFC giving Tito Ortiz $250,000 for another fight, and that's not to include any other money that he might have uh, garnered off the disclosed payrolls with the contract that he signed with the UFC last year. Yeah, I believe that Dana White believes that he's not going to let Chuck Liddell fight again, but he said that before, so uh, another thing that wouldn't shock me would be um, you know, another Tito Ortiz-Chuck Liddell fight. Uh, there is still money to be made on that, but you're right. I, I can't imagine them paying Tito Ortiz another two hundred, another quarter of a million dollars uh, to go out there and, and put on another relatively lackluster performance, even if it's against a Chuck Liddell. Um, renegotiating the contract would make sense, and if that's where they hit an impasse and, and that's how it, it goes down, wouldn't shock me. But um, at this point, who I mean, who knows what what's going to be next for Tito Ortiz? Um, Matt Hamill, you know, like you said, there's not a lot of top ten light heavyweights available right now, and I haven't really seen anything in his five fight win streak. I'm using finger quotes in that um, to to make me believe he's a top ten light heavyweight. He's a solid light heavyweight. Uh, he's popular from his time on the Ultimate Fighter, and and you know the fact that he's deaf, I'm sure, endears him to a lot of fans. Um, so he's certainly a guy you can keep around, but I, I don't see uh, a whole lot of big money fights for, for either of these guys in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, Tito's days of being a draw are gone. And the effectiveness of bringing him into um, this, uh, bringing him back to the UFC, uh, is they killed him as a draw. I, I mean, he still had a draw when he was in, you know, coming off the Lyoto Machida fight, which was kind of close, and, uh, you know, they, you know, another promoter could have picked him up at that point, and you know he was flirting with uh, signing with Affliction and Strikeforce and all this stuff before going back to the UFC. Well, he would have been able to command a lot more money of those promotions uh, at that time, and would have been another draw for them uh, if you know they, uh, if another uh, place tried to to get him uh, signed up for that. So. At this point, after losing to Forrest Griffin and Matt Hamill, you know, the UFC has no fear of him helping any other organization. I mean, you know, they can say, yeah, okay, Strikeforce signed Tito Ortiz. What do we care? He's He hasn't won in four years. He's 0-4-1. He just got beat by Matt Hamill. I mean, you know, they, he's, he's coming off of those losses. He's not a draw anymore, and uh, the UFC got what they needed out of this situation, even if they gave up. Um, more money than Tito was worth at this point. And I think the real nail in the coffin here is that he keeps losing to progressively worse opponents. Um, it's like every time he, he loses, the, the UFC readjusts their expectations and says, okay, well, what about this guy? And then he, you know, scrapes by and loses to that guy. Um, you know, from Leota Machida to Forrest Griffin to Matt Hamill now, I mean, you can't, you certainly can't justify paying a guy $250,000 per fight if he can only face guys at a lesser level than Matt Hamill, who probably makes, you know, $30,000 per fight. That just doesn't make any sense. So unless he's renegotiating his contract, uh, there's there's not much that makes business sense for the UFC with Tito Ortiz. Now another really impressive fight on uh, 
this card, or an impressive performance, I should say, came from Brendan Schaub against Gabriel Gonzaga. Um, Schaub basically picked Gonzaga apart on the feet throughout the entire fight. Uh, you know, got got through an entire three-round fight in the UFC after two first-round knockouts of lesser competition. Uh, you know, Gabriel Gonzaga has been the perennial gatekeeper since losing to Randy Couture for the heavyweight title in, in 2007. You know, he, he's kind of the... He's the guy that that beats lesser competition, loses to uh, more elite competition, and while Schaub didn't knock him out, he certainly had a very impressive performance here, and uh, you know definitely made a statement with this fight. You know he called out Frank Mir uh, after in an interview, which is a fight that had Roy had Shane Carwin not gone out, and I think Roy Nelson or I think Frank Mir takes that spot against Roy Nelson. Had that situation not come about, I think Frank Mir, Brendan Schaub would have been an excellent fight. Um, I, I, I think Schaub is ready for a step up in competition that does not require him fighting uh, a wrestler because his ground game is still suspect. His wrestling, his, his takedowns and stuff with Gonzaga looked really bad in this fight, but uh, he's got the striking game to stand with just about anyone. Uh, as long as the fight's on the feet, I, I like Schaub's chances. You know, he does have the knockout loss against uh, Roy Nelson. Nelson hits pretty damn hard himself, and uh, it was one of those that just kind of caught him right in the perfect spot, right behind the ear. Uh, who knows if if that punch had landed a little bit to the left or right, if uh, we're t- talking a different story here. Uh, but I, I really like Schott's performance, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in the heavyweight division. Yeah, he was really uh, confident against a heavy hitter like Gabriel Gonzaga. You know, Gabriel Gonzaga, it's all his touted. He has this world-class ground game, which is true but we don't see it that much because he prefers to stand and bang. Um, and he's uh, a heavy hitter, and he, he certainly has the, the skill and the power to knock out a guy like Brendan Schaub, uh, especially after we saw Brendan Schaub get knocked out by Roy Nelson. Um, so it was uh, kind of a pick-your-poison for Brendan Schaub, and, and he just uh, decided to stick where he's most comfortable and, and stay on the feet, and he outclassed Gabriel Gonzaga on the feet. So that's certainly a, an accomplishment. Um, I think Brendan Schaub's in a, a bit of an enviable position right now because in the UFC heavyweight division, you have the big four that are going to kind of round-robin each other at the top of the division with Velasquez and Dos Santos and Carwin and, and Lesnar. And then you've got the, the next group of people, the Mir and, and Nog and Roy Nelson, you know, the, the veterans. But after, you know, came Velasquez and Joe, Junior Dos Santos, who are now at the top of the division, there aren't really a whole lot of standout prospects in the heavyweight division. Um, but you do have Brendan Schaub. Um he, he certainly got his highest profile win uh, to date on Saturday. Um, I don't really know what you do with him right now um, because he just beat Gabriel Gonzaga. So you, you can't really match him up with a lesser opponent because that kind of halts his momentum. Um, but at the same time, who is there out there for him to match up against with, with everybody either injured or already scheduled to fight guys or just not really at the same stage of their career? Um, and the only name that keeps popping through my head is Antonio Rodriguez Noguera. Uh, it's a guy that if Schaub beats him, you know, that's a career-defining win, um, you know, vaults him up to, to title contention with one more win. And if he loses, well, you know, it's a, a, a young lion uh, coming up short against a, a grizzled veteran, and, and nobody thinks too much of it. Um, so that's really the, the only name I can come up with right now that makes sense uh, from a you know risk-reward type of perspective uh, for Brennan Schaub. 
Uh, with that, with, I think the mirror fight would be out of the question now with, with uh, what's going on with Carwin and Nelson for one five. So I'm 100% with you. I think uh, Shop can get back into the gym and start preparing. Uh, you know, he got a few bruises and cuts from the fight with Gonzaga. So, uh, you know, Nog's still healing and, and needs to recover himself. That's a that's a great fight for uh, early 2011. I mean, spring 2011, I think that's a fight that uh, can take place. And I, I'm with you. I, I definitely like that matchup. Uh, you're listening into the MMA Torch Livecast Tuesday Conversation. Uh, we've got a little less than 15 minutes left on the show today. So if you want to get any uh, questions or comments in, call 646 716 uh, You can also join us in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash MMA Torch. Uh, we're here every Tuesday from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. If you're listening throughout the week, make sure to check us out on Tuesdays live and, and join in the live show. Uh, you can also follow us on the web at MMATorch.com, uh, on Twitter and Facebook, twitter.com slash MMATorch, facebook.com slash MMATorch, and finally uh, our iPhone and Android apps as well. Uh, so, uh, once again, uh, we're here Tuesdays, 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we had three more fights to make the broadcast because of the hour-long Spike TV prelims, uh, which brought in another 1.5 million viewers to Spike TV. Uh, that hour-long broadcast continues to be uh, a solid uh, move by UFC and Spike. Um, it's working out for both parties very well. But we had Tom Lawler in... I'd say his most impressive performance to date. It wasn't a highly entertaining fight, but Lawler would have won this one convincingly in the first round had Patrick Cote not illegally uh, grabbed the fence to roll himself out of a really tight arm triangle choke. Uh, you know, Using that leverage off the fence to, to get out of the choke was the only thing that saved him. Uh, but Lawler took a clear three rounds to none uh, victory over Patrick Cote. Court McGee survived an early onslaught from Ryan Jensen and, and got an arm triangle choke uh, victory in the third round. Uh, you know, the season 11 ultimate fighter winner. Um, you know, a lot of heart, a lot of grit to get through that first round. He took some really hard shots, uh, was in a lot of trouble, but uh, came back to, to have an impressive second round and, and uh, you know, finished, finished an arm triangle choke uh, from the mount position uh, basically by forcing his uh, his arm down uh, and, and just using the leverage on that choke to force the tap. I thought it was a very good performance by McGee. And finally, Daniel Roberts earning the submission of the night. This this fight aired uh, twice on the card, uh, Daniel Roberts over Mike Guyman. Uh, he got the anaconda choke standing, uh, used a gator roll to get it to the ground and locked it on really tight. Um, some really, really exciting stuff on, on that hour-long prelim card. Uh, most notably Daniel Roberts and then Tom Lawler with a standout performance. And Patrick Cote has fallen back off the map after challenging for a title just uh, two fights prior to this one uh, and going through a lengthy injury layoff. He's now lost to back-to-back fights to Alan Belcher and Tom Lawler, and his career is going the wrong direction. But, Matt, your thoughts on uh, the hour-long prelim special on Spike? Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff to like on this. I thought it was easily the best performance of Tom Lawler's career. Um, wasn't the most exciting fight, but it turns out I think that was what he needed here. Um, we've seen him have have trouble, uh, you know, keeping on the feet with with guys like uh, Aaron Simpson and Joe Dirksen, but those are guys that he probably didn't want to be on the mat with, so it made sense. Uh, but in this fight, he fought very smart. He knew his advantage would be uh, to put. 
Patrick Cote on his back where he's his weakest, and that's what he did. And he, he stuck to the game plan for three rounds. Um, you know, like you said, nearly locked uh, up that arm triangle in the first round. Um, you know, not sure if if he would have finished it off. It looked like probably, um, but that was the best we've seen Tom Lawler. And that you know, Patrick Cote, despite the fact that he's lost three fights in a row, he's lost to Anderson Silva, Alan Belcher, and now Tom Lawler. Those are three pretty good fighters. Um, and and I think a win over Patrick Cote still means something for Tom Lawler, and that's should bump him up the card. And, and hey, we've got a, a fresh face um, moving his way up the ladder at 185. That's always nice to see. Um, Court McGee, great display of heart, um, sticking it out after that first round. Uh, Ryan Jensen is a good fighter, um, very experienced, uh, very talented in all aspects. And Court McGee weathered the storm. Um, Actually, exactly what I expected him to do. Um, finish it off in the third round with a submission. Um, you know, it's he's an Ultimate Fighter winner, which I don't. It, it doesn't seem to mean as much anymore um, when a guy wins the Ultimate Fighter as it used to. So it's not like uh, they're going to be rocketed to superstardom. But it, it's a good, solid win for his first fight coming off the show uh, against a, a, a good fighter in Ryan Jensen. Um, and, and the comeback win should probably uh, pick up some fans for him. Yeah, and I think I think the thing with the the Lawler fight too is, uh, like you said, a win over Patrick Cote definitely does mean something still. Uh, and I, I the the most impressive thing for me for Tom Lawler is after two fights in a row where he uh, gassed out after the first round uh, against both Joe Dirksen and Aaron Simpson, he went three full rounds and you know he, he didn't overtire himself and he imposed his will on Patrick Cote in that fight, which I think was the most impressive thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. Fought a, a smart, measured fight, and, and that seemed like it would have been uh, a weakness for Tom Lawler after his last two fights. We, uh, you know, when he submitted C.B. Dalloway at UFC 100, um, and even that that first round against Aaron Simpson in that fight, and, and the fight he ended up losing, which I, I kind of disagree with that decision, um, but there was a lot of hype surrounding Tom Lawler, and then he... Uh, got outclassed really by by Joe Dirksen by really overextending himself on the feet and, and gassing himself out, but obviously went back to the drawing board and, and realized, hey, I'm a good wrestler, I'm I'm a good strong grappler, and I can rely on my hands if I need to. But you know he needs to stick to his strengths, and, and that's exactly what he did here. And um, I think it was just mostly encouraging to see him uh, put his tools together with a smart game plan against a quality fighter. Agreed. Um, moving on from UFC 121, we've got uh, just about eight minutes left in the show, but uh, Dana White uh, is going to be making a major announcement, uh, finger quotes on that one, on Thursday in a uh, media conference call uh, that I will be a part of, but uh, some speculation on what you think that might be, Matt. We've, we've heard many times a major announcement going uh, to be made by Dana White, and uh, the speculation is always more entertaining than what the end result is. Sometimes there are actually uh, major things that are announced. I mean, the Lorenzo Fertitta announcement last year um, actually has been a major announcement for the UFC. I mean, it wasn't it it, it wasn't the uh, flashy uh, or overly juicy announcement that people were expecting, but it has it has resulted uh, in you know, a very big boom for the UFC uh, in their worldwide expansion because that's what he's been uh, uh, focusing on. So, you know, 
there there are a lot of different things that are out there, um, but I, I I'm not sure what is is actually going to be announced on Thursday. What do you what do you think it it could be uh, realistically uh, coming from Dana White on Thursday? Well, you know, with him doing the interview recently saying, you know, the UFC will be on network TV in, in 2011, and Lorenzo Fertitta coming out saying that they're looking to put together the, the George St. Pierre-Anderson Silva fight, those are like the two most common uh, guesses by people as to what this major announcement is. But, I mean, let's not forget they're making this announcement on a conference call. If it was something like that, something really tangible for fans to sink their teeth into, this would be a an actual press conference. Um, and they'd be making a much bigger deal out of it. I, I'm assuming it's something much more along the lines of, you know, Lorenzo Fertitta being a much more active member of the team, um, because that's where these kind of announcements are made are are in media conference calls. And, and like you said, that ended up being a huge deal, just like they said it was a major announcement and people didn't even realize it. Um, but the fact that this is just on a conference call tells me that it's going to be something much more business-related and, and not, a big fight announcement or a TV deal or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm hoping that obviously it's something more juicy than that. I'll keep a little optimism about it, but uh, I'm not expecting it to be anything earth-shattering, mind-blowing, or anything along those lines. Um, yeah, it's it's just, I mean, it's another one of Dana's major announcements, and it's it's hard to take the major announcements seriously when they're very rarely major. Um, but it's it's always fun to speculate on what it possibly could be. It's far too early for them to be announcing anything with GSP and Silva because obviously both of them have to uh, both of them have to win their title fights. I mean, they they can talk about that when they actually get the job done. I mean, that that speculation can start coming when Anderson Silva takes out Vitor Belfort at UFC 126 if that's what happens, because George St. Pierre will obviously have taken out Josh Koscheck by that point. So, I, I mean, the earliest that type of talk is going to come is February. And uh, at this point, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, it's from uh, Josh Gross from Sports Illustrated. He said it will not be um, the the date for the Toronto show or the uh, merging of the WEC into the UFC. Uh, I'm not I, – I didn't get – exactly what his uh, uh, source was on all that, but that's what he was reporting. I think it's possible. It's possible it could be the merging of the WEC's lightweight division into the UFC. I think that is uh, more than uh, a likely scenario for them to do rather than a full-on integration of the featherweight and bantamweight divisions into the UFC fold. Uh, It would be a lot easier to move the the WEC's lightweights in, which I would I would be all in favor of that move, and uh, you know it's a possibility. Yes, that's 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 something I think that he could uh, say is a major announcement yet pulled off on a a media conference call. Maybe it's them you know launching into a, a new area or something like that. Uh, I just don't think it, it's certainly not going to be anything uh, you know fight related, and I don't think it's going to be anything. Uh, TV deal related, but any, anything else, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. And they've issued a press release saying, Hey, we're making a major announcement. So they're, they're trying to, to obviously drum up interest and it's working because we're sitting here talking about it. Um, but I would be shocked if it's, if it's anything other than, um, you know, something a little less than what we're, we're expecting. 
Finally, with uh, three minutes left in the show, we'll get in some non-UFC talk, as there was another, uh, well, there were two events last week leading into uh, Saturday's UFC 121, but we'll talk about the one that actually uh, had a relevant couple of fights on it, as Eddie Alvarez beat Roger Huerta at Bellator 33. Um, You know, Huerta looked decent at times, uh, but Alvarez picked him apart, beat him up badly, uh, closed his eye up uh, and caused a doctor stoppage after the second round. Um, and yet we're still likely not going to see Eddie Alvarez, uh, Gilbert Melendez, because uh, I don't think Strikeforce wants to make that fight. Well, yeah, they don't want their uh, one of their crown jewels losing a fight uh, to a guy that doesn't fight for them. It doesn't make sense. It only makes sense from Bellator's perspective. And Bjorn Redney can say, hey, we're willing to do it. Let's make it happen. That's because... Um, it's not going to be. It's not going to affect their bottom line too much if Eddie Alvarez loses. Whereas it's great publicity for them if he wins. Um, whereas people who watch Strikeforce, who have no idea what Bellator even is, um, will see if if Gilbert Melendez beats Eddie Alvarez, they go, "Well, he's supposed to." I've never even heard of Eddie Alvarez. Um, and if he loses, it's obviously a disaster for Strikeforce. So um, cross promotion just doesn't make sense most of the time unless you're doing dealing with either two promotions on the exact same level as each other trying to, uh, you know, help each other out or, you know, uh, a U.S. promotion and a Japanese promotion where the, the crossover isn't isn't very similar. Um, but having two major U.S. promotions where one is, is clearly uh, bigger than the other, it doesn't make sense to, to pit two champions together. I mean, from my perspective, it does because I want to see that fight. But uh, certainly from Strikeforce's perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, and obviously we don't have time to get into this tonight. We've got just over a minute left. But, um, you know, the the situation is also that for them being proponents of co-promotion with M1 Global and with Dream and everything, they make themselves kind of look like hypocrites and scared of Bellator and Eddie Alvarez in this situation because, you know, they've worked with some other organizations and all that. But that's a discussion for another day. We've got uh, just over 30 seconds left. So I want to thank everyone for... Uh, joining us today for our UFC 121 review and conversation here. Uh, Make sure to join us on Tuesdays from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, We're here every week, and you can call in uh, and join us in the chat room as well. Uh, Thanks to Rich Hansen for joining us while he could before he had his uh, phone issues and also for taking the last two weeks and uh, uh, hosting the show while I was sick. Uh, Matt, thanks as always. And once again, thanks to uh, everyone for listening in. Uh, For Matt Pelkey and Rich Hansen, this is Jamie Pennick signing off.